This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like any sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome in episode 175 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And pretty much take everything we talked about last episode and throw it out the window because they pretty much debunked all of our criticisms about the the Burrs are online not scoring, about the power play not scoring, uh, and just about their their lack of energy in general. They've they've won three straight. Uh, they defeated the Wild five to two on Saturday. They blew the Sabers out of the water seven nothing the following day. Um, so Bridget and Scott, a lot to like from this weekend's slate of games for the Bruins. Yeah, for sure they are they are fully back on track. It's like that team meeting they had thursday morning um after you know losing three of four losing to the lowly blackhawks it's like they just decided okay we're we're done with this like we're we're gonna go back to dominating now and they have you know took the game against winnipeg you know maybe not a like a totally dominant game um you know final score is three nothing but winnipeg had some chances swayman had to be really good uh you know there were still some things that were a little off which i think we covered you know whether it was the top line or the power play or you know breakouts were a little rough but then you get to the weekend and it's like they're backfiring on all cylinders you know minnesota wild were red hot they were on a 14 game point streak going into that and they beat them top line steps up has a dominant game Sunday in Buffalo, everyone steps up, like just a total team effort. And they do it, you know, Sunday in Buffalo, like that could have been the game where you you would have actually like understood if they just had an off day and didn't really show up because it would have been like, okay, well, they already pulled themselves out of that skid beating Winnipeg and Minnesota. It's second day of a back-to-back, this travel, it's the end of a road trip, Krejci's out, Montgomery says soreness. I think it's probably as much rest as anything. I don't think he's that banged up. Um, Dmitry Orlov gets a rest day. So you're like, everything's in place to, you know, just kind of cruise and not have a great game. And yet clearly they were determined to finish the road trip strong. Multiple players talked about, you know, the difference between a three and two road trip is a good road trip. Two and three is a bad road trip. So they did seem to put some emphasis on coming out of this five game road trip with a winning record. And they just took it to the Sabres literally right from the start. Bergeron scoring. 15 seconds in and the Sabres were the ones who looked disinterested, who looked like they were playing a back-to-back with travel, which they weren't, they, they were rested. They'd played Friday, but had Saturday off um, should have been a desperate team. You know, they, they're not totally out of the playoff picture yet, although they keep slipping further and further back. Yeah. They've, um, I mean, they've lost what they've only won two of their last 11 games, I think. So. Yeah, they've had a few ties in there, but they, you know, you're not taking a lot of points if you're only won two of your last 11. 
Yeah, it, it looked like their their season's probably over. Like they're they look like they they might you know be ready to potentially make the playoffs this year, and they're not. They're at least a year away. So good on the Bruins though to you know yeah they caught the Sabers on a terrible day, which the Sabers also had a terrible day the last time these two teams played. That was a seven to one game. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bruins just brought it and closed strong, and they come back home feeling good about themselves when just less than a week ago, they, they were not feeling good at all. Yeah. And I did think it was interesting what, like we, we played the clip on Sunday skate yesterday um, with razor. But when Montgomery was saying that the reason why the, like that they, the team thinks there was a lapse was because they clinched and it coincided with them clinching first place. And also like clinching a playoff spot. Yeah. That's what I mean. Clinching a playoff spot. Um, they are still in first place, but uh, they had never done it so early. So they're not like they weren't used to having all of this time left in the season to not worry about making the playoffs. Um, and that, you know, there it's not a coincidence that that clinching and the fall off happened at the same time. Um, but clearly they seem to bounce back in and handle everything uh, differently this weekend. Um that that Bergeron goal 15 seconds in I think I heard Dale say this after the game I'm not sure if it's true or what but um that that's the fastest game winning goal in NHL history because nobody scored after it so I don't I I know people have scored quicker than 15 seconds in but I don't think any of those were game winners so um potentially was the fastest goal uh, I'd have to I don't know where Dale found that stat but um it sounded like he was kind of just guessing or like taking an educated guess at it, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if anyone actually found that to confirm it. I, I have no idea. I, how like I, I, I tried just a quick Google and nothing popped up immediately. So I was like, well, that's all I have time to do. So yeah. I was, you know, put a, I put a lot of homework into that one. Anyway, it was one of the fastest, if not. Um, and that was really the beginning of the end. And by the, you know, was it three, three, nothing after 11 minutes. Um, and it was just, it was ugly from that point on. It was like, I, it's over. Um, they had a shot of like Jeff Skinner on the bench, just looking sad. And I was like, Oh, they just don't want to be here anymore is what it seemed like, but good for Swayman. Uh, seven, nothing shutout was, they were just having so much fun after the game. He was doing his press conference and all Mark put a chicken wing in his mouth while he was about to start talking. And then I saw another video the Bruins put up where Brendan Carlo came and was trying to annoy him with a pizza also during the, (laughs) during the interview. So they were just having a good time again. And that's that, you know, that's what they've been doing all season, but except for, you know, stretch of four games that we talked about not being their best. I just have to say, if the Bruins are going to make a habit of, bringing food to post-game media scrums, they better bring enough for us. Um, but I, I can just see Scott, like, putting his mouth open for a chicken <laughs> wing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining it. So I think I think the Bergeron goal is a good place to start, though, because for me, that's the most, that's the biggest takeaway of, the, of this weekend's games is picking up what we left off on last episode, which was the, the, the lack of production from that Bergeron line over the last, you know, 10 games or so. Um, we I had mentioned, I think, over their last 16 combined games or 18 combined games, Bergeron, Marshan, and Debrus combined for like seven points over that span. While in their last uh, – they they've combined now for 15 points in their last six combined games. Obviously, the last two games, both all three of those guys have five points in the last two games. Um, and they just look great doing it. Like DeBrusque was using his speed. Martian was tenacious in the four check. Bergeron was cerebral in the slot and getting open and just very opportunistic. And those three were playing how they play when they're on top of their games. And they did so against two teams that you guys mentioned were, well, Minnesota certainly has been feeling it. Um, but they're both playing for like, you know, desperate hockey. They should be at least those, those two opponents. And, and for me, that's the biggest takeaway. The power play was great too. Um, to get some power play goals in the back of that was huge for this team's confidence. But the 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 emergence for that top line again, which I we all knew was inevitable, but again, it's about playing with confidence heading into the playoffs. And for me, it's just it's it's 
better to see it sooner than later. And we were able to see it this weekend. Yeah, on the power play. So now Pasternak, power play goal in back-to-back games. He'd gone 21 games without a power play goal before Saturday, which is just crazy. I mean, that's a quarter of the season, and you just don't expect to see that from Pasternak. But it's not just a Pasternak thing. Like, it speaks to, you know, how much the whole top unit was struggling. Like, they just weren't – other guys weren't scoring. Things weren't opening up. Passes to Pasternak weren't there. His shot wasn't there. Um, I do think Hampus Lindholm has helped – open that unit up a little bit he just seems to you know it's nothing fancy it's not anything super different than what McAvoy or Orlov does but just seems to be a little smoother and I think the way that he can walk the blue line seems to help um you know I think other guys have stepped up as well they've been able to get the puck into Bergeron and the bumper more and you see that you know lead to Pasternak's goal on Sunday where he has just kind of a little tap pass over so they're just getting more looks and, and it just looks much more fluid. Um, so, you know, we'll see if they can can build off that and continue. But I do think the the move of putting Lindholm up top in that top unit seems seems to help. It, it seems like he's a little bit better at running that unit right now than McAvoy was or than Orlov was in, in his short time there. Yeah, and he scored not on the power play, but he did score um in the game against buffalo as well so so did mcavoy um so you are getting scoring from all over um you mentioned the power play goal by pasternak but hathaway scored um for a second bertuzzi scored but they took it back because he kicked it um uh he's so keeps coming real close but uh no cigar for him quite yet but yeah they got they got the scoring from not just the top line like you mentioned but um Coil, and then over the past few games, Frederick has contributed quite a bit. So you're seeing a full team effort. Um, maybe their most complete effort of the season. It just looks like so easy for them what they were trying to do. They're getting it done. And Coil has looked that the third line in general, which I guess we should probably mention, lines were jumbled up because with Krejci out, um, everything was a little bit different. So Zaka was centering the second line with Bertuzzi and Pasternak. I don't, I want to get you guys thoughts on that. Um, and then Greer was up on the third line with Coyle and Frederick, which was, you know, another guy in Greer that you throw up there. And he's another tough guy on that line. I wouldn't want to go up um, against Frederick coming on this side and Greer coming on the other side. Um, Cause those are two guys that are uh, kind of tough guys, but um Anyway, what do you guys think of the all three of the bottom three lines were were a little bit different because Lauko was back in um, and Zaboral played, so we hadn't had a chance to see him in a while. Yeah, Scott, did um, is my memory fading or did did AJ Greer play a good portion of the first part of the season with Frederick and Coyle, or was that never that was a combination, right? For yeah. a while, yeah, yeah he did, good yeah, they. They they were to get yeah they were together early on and and they were a good line yeah and then I think kind of Felino kind of just really kept kept improving and I think that just kind of naturally ended up switching a little bit um, and then obviously Taylor Hall had time with them too so again that Coyle and Frederick combination has been yeah pretty it was solid during it was year. during the stretch when Marshand was out so you know everyone had kind of been bumped up a spot so Greer got some third line time during that time and then. When Martian came back, everyone bumped down, and you know Greer was basically fourth line from there on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that Coyle and Frederick combination has been pretty good for them all year, pretty solid. Uh, you know, there's been stretches um, where the offensive production has dropped off, but and we mentioned it like last week when we recorded, and then since then, like I think Frederick has three goals, maybe four in the last five or six games. Coyle has a couple of goals and some helpers, and you can just tell they're starting to play with that swagger and confidence again down low and beneath the dots and that's that's where they're successful bridget the uh the zaka bertuzzi passion that combination is interesting to me because that could be a potential line of the future don't you think scott um it could i think they're gonna have trouble re-signing bertuzzi as much as they'd like to um but yeah i mean certainly zaka and Pasanak, you'd have to figure are you know potentially linked together for a while um 
yeah, the, the the third line especially was great. Whether it was, you know, a couple games ago when um, Bertuzzi was on it, or even Sunday with Greer, I, I think Coyle has been dominant really for a little while now. But especially these last few games, he has nine points in his last nine games now, and he's shooting the puck. I think he has fifteen shots over the last three or four games, something like that. Um, you know, which comes right after a stretch where he, I think that Edmonton game was especially brutal where they like passed out of multiple grade a looks. And I'm assuming there was some sort of meeting or just a talk and like a reminder of like, Hey, like, <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Like, I know you're a pass first guy. <laughs> I know you always want to look to pass, um, but you got to shoot when it's there. And he has been recently. And we've seen Tyler Bertuzzi shoot more, which wasn't, you know, I think he was being a little too deferential when he first joined the Bruins. Um, always looking to set guys up, which we've seen how good he can be at that. He makes a lot of passes right on sticks in dangerous areas. So you do want him doing that as well, but he's had chances to shoot and hadn't. And now, you know, I think he has nine shots over his last three games. So just a, sh- a more of a shot first attack mentality in general from those two Frederick three goals in the last three games. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's looked really good. And coil again, it all starts with him and his puck protection. Anyone watching on YouTube We're we're being joined by Melvin right now. Yeah. He decided to pop his head into the camera. He was, I mean, I was keeping him off camera, but he decided he wanted to come say hi. I think he's trying to tell me he wants to leave. But anyway, sorry, Scott. He uh, distracted you. No, I was I was done anyways. But I, you, I uh, you, you can't you can't keep a face like that off camera. Bridget, no. um, Bridget, you mentioned um, you mentioned Zaboral as well, and uh, the you know we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fourth line, right? I mean, Garnet Hathaway scores another nice goal for the Bruins. Um, just. Really a welcome addition for the team, and uh, that stems from um, a good outlet pass from Zaboral, who you know displayed patience. Um, it was a bit fortunate the way it kind of ended up on Hathaway's stick. I, I don't know if it ended up being an indirect pass off the boards, or if it hit a skate, or if Hathaway kind of directed it off the boards to himself. But in any in any event, he ends up breaking free down the right wing and, and snaps a shot home. Um, but it's a good idea by Zaboral to have that patience and to just put the puck into an area where Hathaway can kind of retrieve it and not, and not turn the puck over. Um, and so that's an example of um, two people you mentioned, Bridget, the fourth line and, and, and Zaboral kind of uh, making an impact on, on that game and on the score sheet. How did you feel uh, Zaboral looked, Bridget? So, I mean, he, he did better than I expected, I guess, is is what I would say. Because after being out for so long and also the chemistry, like not having time during the season to build up chemistry on any of the pairs, um, I was worried he was going to be in a place where he might have some frustration. Um, and uh, it was going to be a, a pretty big learning curve to get back into it um, because he'd been, you know, not not – playing consistently for so long. So he, I think he played better than I was expecting. He had, did help, did have a pretty good transition game. I thought, um, helped break the puck out. Um, that was one of the times Brian on the Hathaway goal, but, um, but yeah, he, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought he, you know, didn't do anything that you're like, okay, that's exactly why, like, we don't have him in the game. Like there were no egregious mistakes or anything like that, where you go, oh, you know, well, he's back out. Like we, I guess we can't rest or lava. I guess we can't like get rest for our other guys um, if they needed, or, you know, they wanted, and, and the main thing is they wanted to see what they have for the playoffs. So if he needs to come in, um, if, so, if another defenseman does go down, they know that they have a reliable guy there. So, um, I thought he did pretty well. I thought he, you know, played to some of his strengths. Yeah. And and he will play more down the stretch, especially with Forbert probably missing a little bit of time. He's already missed the last two games. Um, you know, no real update yet. I'm assuming maybe Tuesday morning skate Bruins are completely off Monday, so we won't hear anything today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of expecting Forbert to miss a little more time and, 
I think they want to keep the D rotation going and get, you know, keep guys fresh, get them days off. So, and they want, they do want to get Zabor into some games again, just to see what you have and just to get him more ready than he was because, you know, he can practice hard and skate and all that and like be part of the team, be around the guys, but actually playing NHL games is completely different. And yeah, I thought, you know, him and Clifton got, they got stuck in their own zone a couple times, but for the most part, yeah, I thought Sabora looked pretty solid. He broke up a couple injuries. Um, you mentioned, you know, the assist on, on the Hathaway goal. He also started the breakout on DeBrusque's, DeBrusque's goal with a pass over to Clifton um, that he actually partially whiffed on, but he had so much space that it, it still got there and worked all the same. Um, but yeah, he he ends up playing 18 minutes his last two games, which first off have been spread over three months. So they don't help all that much anyways, but he only played six and seven minutes in those games. So yeah, because it was a blowout yesterday, they're able to really get him into, into a game with a lot of minutes. They were also able, Montgomery was also able to manage other guys minutes. Bergeron only played like 11 something. Martian was like 13. So, you know, we've, we've highlighted that a few times this year that Montgomery will in game, do like some load management and just totally cut back on some minutes for, you know, those top guys and, and older guys and give it to the fourth line and Zaboral and Clifton and, you know, let them kind of run with a, a heavier workload. Yeah. Zaboral only got like 40 seconds less ice time than McAvoy. So, I mean, they were, and if you look at the time on ice for the defensemen, they're all pretty similar. Um, so it's not, it, everybody, was out there for quite a bit. Um, and Zaboral did get some penalty killing time. Obviously he'd be expected to do that, especially when you're coming in for Forbert, <laughs> um, that you're going to need to be able to kill penalties as well. The biggest thing for, for Zaboral, in my opinion, if he were to draw into the lineup in the playoffs for one reason or another, is just, he just has to, he can't, the moment can't be too big for him. He can't rush plays. He can't like, don't don't try to move the puck before you're supposed to because you're trying to avoid a four check hit or you know don't try to be too pretty and go off the middle or just keep it simple and play a smart game and and if he can do that then Zaboral has you know he has a skill set to be a you know a bottom pair NHL guy um he just he just I just feel like he lacks a bit of uh I don't know. I don't want to maybe maybe composure or physicality, and I, I don't mean physicality in the sense where like he's not afraid to like hit somebody, but like physicality also means being able to take a hit, right? And I just feel like that's part of the game that he needs to improve on, um, especially if they were to rely on him coming into a playoff series at some point. So that should be the focus for him is just keep things simple um, and smart, and and he can be he can be a reliable option if he has to enter uh, into the picture at some point. Um, did you have any closing thoughts on that? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. No, um, I did. I did want to circle back to the second line, um, the the combination and how you guys thought that looked, and just in general. Obviously, Bertuzzi was was there with Pasternak and Zaka, um, which I think that's the first time that combination has ever been together because obviously Krejci is usually part of that equation um, on the check line. So, uh, how did you think they played together? What do you like about? what a line like that could look like um, with Bertuzzi on it. Obviously they're not going to break up the check line if they um, don't have to for some reason, but just in the amount of time that you guys get to see it, what'd you think? And do you think Bertuzzi is um, finding his game a little bit more in Boston? You still think there's probably another level left? Cause I feel like he's, they still haven't found the perfect spot for him, but he's looked, he's looked good on every line. He just hasn't been able to get that goal. Yeah, I mean, I think the best spot so far has clearly been with Coyle and Frederick. And, you know, obviously the only reason they split that up is because Krejci's out, so someone's going to move up. 
Um, I would expect him to get more time with, with Coyle and Frederick. And, you know, really the interesting discussion becomes when Taylor Hall returns, what do you do? Because Taylor Hall has started skating. He's been on the ice at warrior. Um, you know, obviously the team was on the road, so there was no opportunity to like be with the, to join the team. We'll see if he gets on the ice with the team at any point this week. They're, you know, they're scheduled to have a couple more skates. I think they're practicing in full on Wednesday and possibly Friday as well. So, um, you know, we'll see if he's on the ice in like a no contact jersey at some point, or if it's still just skating on his own, which it might be for another week or so. So, um, because then the discussion becomes okay, Taylor Hall, if he's healthy, is going in. So is it Bertuzzi moves over to the right wing and you have Hall, Coyle, Bertuzzi, and, you know, Frederick goes down to the fourth line for now? Or, you know, what exactly does that look like? Is one of Hall or Bertuzzi on the fourth line, which isn't really, you know, a natural fit for those guys? Um, I don't think either one is really suited to the kind of heavy defensive zone shifts that, Montgomery tends to give his fourth line. So that's, you know, for now, I like Bertuzzi with Coyle and, and Frederick. I think they were finding some chemistry. Obviously, you know, I'm sure he still wants to score that first goal. And he's, as you mentioned earlier, he's been close. He double doinks one off, you know, both posts. He kicks one in. Um, so, you know, that'll kind of be like a little bit of a monkey off his back once he's able to do that. But otherwise, I, I think he's playing well. You know, I think. Like I said, the, some of the setups he has to teammates in, in high danger areas, um, the way he puts pucks into good areas, just his passing in general. Uh, you know, I think he's been pretty good on the four check. He's not, you know, he's not the most physical player in the world in the sense of like hitting guys. Um, but I think he's definitely finding his game and, and playing better. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think, um, I think the last thing that needs to happen for him is just confidence, and that's going to come with time with this team, and obviously a couple of goals going in that actually count will help that as well. I think there's more of a pest nature to his game that hasn't really come out yet, and I think some of that also has to do with he's trying to find his way in Boston and not be a detriment by taking dumb penalties. I think that kind of just comes out of his game naturally when he's on top of his game. Um, But as Scott mentioned, I mean, that's, you know, barring injury, that's just not a, a combination I think we'll see. Um, this year with Krejci in there. And as far as, like, what to do with Frederick, because, like, yeah, if Taylor Hall comes back, you know, it, it becomes a much more compelling situation when Nick Felino's healthy, right? Because when Felino's healthy, now who are you taking out? If Taylor Hall comes back and Nick Felino's still out, well, you'll do you'll do Hall, Bertuzzi, and Coyle, and then you'll do Nosick with Hathaway on the right and Frederick on the left. And you'll just bounce Greer or Lauko out of the lineup because I don't see them – sending Trent Frederick up to the ninth floor if Nick Felino's spot is still there to ha- to be had on the fourth line. You know what I mean? So I think that when Taylor Hall comes back, they'll keep Frederick in the lineup on that fourth line just to see how that new look third line w- would appear. And then they'll kick that that can down the road as far as who would be the odd man out if and when Felino's healthy. But if Felino's still out of the lineup, then Greer or Lauko would be the odd man out in my opinion. I do think they, they put Frederick on the fourth line. I think they like that look on the third line of like, having that big body nature of, of Hall and of, of um, Frederick and Coyle. But don't forget, like, Taylor Hall is a puck possession guy, too. He's a, he's a big boy out there, and Bertuzzi plays bigger than he is. So I think that's probably what you, what you would do. I don't know what the timeline is on Taylor Hall. I don't think anybody does. I don't know if you guys have any guesses. Obviously, if he's healthy, they like to try to get him into the lineup before playoff starts, which don't look now, but is, like, less than a month away, right? Or about a month away? Yeah, it's like April 14th is their last regular season game, I think, or right in that range. So, um, yeah, I would say about a month then because usually get some time off and then hit the hit the first round. Yeah, the yeah. 13th. The 13th, 13th is their last regular season game at Montreal. So, okay. Yeah, and there, there won't be much time off because they're going to start that weekend uh, right after the April 15th, 16th. Okay, and that's a Thursday. So, I think. So, yeah, I mean, Bridget, I thought that that line looked good. I just didn't put much stock into it yesterday because I just knew it wasn't really a, a long-term thing to be looking for, I guess, if that makes any sense. But um, I, I'm really I'm really curious to see how Bertuzzi, Hall, and Coyle would, would, would fare. I mean, like, Bertuzzi, 
Coyle and Frederick is great. It's a great third line. It's up there probably with the best in the league. But if Taylor Hall and Tyler Bertuzzi are on your third line wings and they're on their game, I mean, that's just – that's really stupid. And I mean that in a complimentary way. Like that's, that is insane, insane depth and embarrassment of riches. And I think that, you know, as, as great as Frederick's been – He's not a former MVP in the league. He's not a former first overall pick. Like there's, he's gonna have to slide down to that fourth line, and then from there, you know, he's gonna have to battle it out with Hathaway and and Felino and Greer. And guess what? At this point, we're talking, we're not talking Wayne Gretzky. Like we're talking all guys that, you know, you know, I don't think your cup is your cup hopes are riding and dying on if Frederick is on your fourth line or if he's sitting. He's a great little player. He's having a great year, but, um, but yeah. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, bring up to you guys too, and, and Scott, you kind of brought up the power play and Lindholm on the on on uh, looking, getting things back in order at the top of the umbrella. Um, Pasternak's two goals this weekend got him to 48 on the year with about 13 games or so left. Now, obviously, Pasternak is a 50 goal plus caliber player. He would have already eclipsed this uh, this milestone a couple of years ago had it not been for COVID interrupting him. I think he actually had 48, 48 goals or 47 goals, yeah. something like that. It was, like it was 48. Almost, it was so actually he's... a pretty similar pace with like 12 games to go, right? Or 10 uh, games to go? Or... Yeah, I think. Pretty similar. Yeah. What did they finish at, 70 or 72 that year? So Yeah, I think it was 70. So, I mean, yeah. he would have gotten 50 that year. But I guess my question is, do you think that when he officially hits 50 this year, unless he has the quietest goal slump of his, of his career, <laughs> or outside of maybe his rookie year, um, do you think that him being the first Bruin to hit 50 since Cam Neely means officially means a lot to the organization and to Pasternak? Um, good question. I, I don't know. It's so one thing I did just think of is when, when COVID hit and it was clear, like they weren't gonna be able to finish the season. I remember at the time, if he was asked like, you know, do you, are you disappointed? Like you won't be able to get to 50. And he said he was more disappointed that he couldn't get to a hundred points because I think he was at like 96 or something that year. Um, and he said, because, you know, because he takes a lot of pride in his playmaking too. And so the total package of the points meant more. Um, so, I, you know, I'm sure if, like 50 goals is, is a great accomplishment. And as you just said, like it's been a long time since a Bruin has done it. So I, I think, you know, he will appreciate it, but like, I don't think he'll really let on a ton. You know, I, I think, It'll be a lot of, yeah, we have, you know, bigger goals. I have bigger goals, all that. But, yeah, to be the best Bruins goal scorer in almost 30 years, like, you got to take some personal pride in that. That it, And he already was. You know, he doesn't need the 5-0 to, you know, to make that case or for that to be true. But it is – it does highlight, like, okay, he really is doing something that this franchise hasn't seen in a while. And that is just a, a remarkable accomplishment in and of itself. Like we're in an era of higher scoring now. Goal scoring has been going up for the last, you know, almost better part of a decade, seven, eight years. And yet you're still only going to finish the season with a few guys who top 50. So it's still just a really impressive individual accomplishment. And, you know, and I do think he's also improved as a goal scorer. Like you, you see that with, the goal yes Sunday where that's kind of step inside where, okay, a team is taking away his one timer from the left dot. We've seen that a lot more this year where he takes that extra step or two inside and risks it or snaps it on goal and is able to beat goalies that way. So, um, you know, I think he's kind of diversified his, his goal scoring in his offense as well. And that's a big reason that he's now tied for his career high and is going to break it, you know, barring something crazy. Yeah, and it was 95 points that he had that COVID year, um, yeah. and he has 93 now, so he's approaching that pretty quickly as well. Um, and yeah, I mean that's obviously just a huge accomplishment. It's the season he's been having. It's not surprising that you know he's going to get there. Um, and I don't know, just in general, he's had such a a good year. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him get there like next game, like he could just have two goals and he's there. So <laughs> it could happen very, very soon. Um, 
and I don't think anyone would be completely surprised. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, I just, just good for him to get, to get to 50, um, for the first time in his career, but it's not going to be the last time I doubt. No, definitely not. And, you know, you guys mentioned the pride he takes in reaching that hundred point marker. I mean, um, you see, you see guys hit hundred points a lot where it's like, you know, um, whatever, 25 goals and 75 assists or whatever. I mean, I mean, Pasternak, the balance is pretty, pretty remarkable, right? 48 goals, 45 assists as he stands today. So just to the pride he takes in being a playmaker, like Scott talked about, it shows in the stat sheets as well. So just a very, very well-rounded um, offensive player for sure. Um, and we've talked about it in the past, just the different ways he can score goals, what, what makes him elite, what makes him special. And if he, you know, now that we know he's here for another eight years, um, you know, the, the title for the, the, the greatest goal scorer in the franchise's history, hundred plus year history, or actually hundred year next year history. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty damn cool. That's very, very special. So uh, he's on track to do that by career's end. And so really cool to get to watch him in his prime right now. Yeah. Was he 26 right now? Right. Yeah. And I think, I think I did the math when he signed the extension, or I think I actually did it like a little before that, but on an eight, eight year deal. It's like basically if he averages like 36 goals a year, he'll break Johnny Busick's franchise record by the end of this contract. Which speaks highly of, of, of chief too of Busick. Like that's, that's pretty crazy that, you know, what he was able to accomplish too back in, back in the day as well. So I don't know how many years he played in Boston. Certainly not, it won't, when it's all not as many as Pasternak would, will be at that point. Right. At the end of his next contract, it will be what 15 years he's played in Boston. Pasternak, well, it, how many years? He, Busick's more Oh, was he? 22, 23. Like he was in the twenties. So a lot oh, of wow. lot of longevity there. Oh wow. I didn't realize that. Okay. Either way, I would take either one of them on my on my team. <laughs> cross out all cross all errors. <clears throat> um Bridget, was there any other takeaways from the weekend that you wanted to go over? Um, I did want to talk about Fred like Frederick just for a second. Um, the fight that he had. <laughs> and that the fact that he got like he was getting battered this weekend he took a I think it was a stick to the chit to the jaw and he that was bothering him for a little bit um he got into a few mix-ups and one fight with cousins that he kind of cousins got the early jump on him and he took a bunch of punches right off the bat but then he kind of turned it around and started winning that fight, but then they broke it up and he was really pissed um, because as soon as he started getting punches in, they, they stepped in between them. But um, just how have you thought his physicality has been? I feel like he's playing his best hockey in both ways that he's being kind of a pest and um, doing what he does, which we already knew he could do, which is the fighting and the, you know, the toughness and then he's also added the scoring i feel like it's we're watching him play the best hockey that he's played in his career and and he had goals in three straight games which is the first time he's done that um in his career as well yeah he he absolutely is playing the best hockey of his career and just to clarify and abuse it because i just looked it up 21 years 57 to 78 so um yeah so on frederick hey i feel like pretty much all season like this is what he's been doing is you know he's really broken out as a goal scorer i think more than half of his career goals have been scored this season um and yeah he is still bringing physicality he's not and he's not being foolish about it like he's not just running around trying to drill guys he's not taking bad penalties or anything like that so that's also you know part of what he'll have to bring if he does end up on the fourth line obviously because I think especially the wings on that line, you know, Nosek is the center obviously is, you know, he can play physical as well and use his size, but he's really there more as like support kind of the safeguard, you know, he just kind of manages everything from the middle, but then like the wings, they want that attitude of like, you know, be an asshole to play against basically. Like that's. Oh, Poso when... did try to fight Nosek in that Buffalo. Yeah. Game. True. I don't think Nosek uh-huh. wanted much of it. But... No, I, yeah, I think we've seen that fighting is not Tomas Nosek's strength. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, whether it's Hathaway and Lauko, Greer, Felina, Fred, like whoever you want to put on that fourth line, the wings there are going to have, like they're going to be kind of the attitude of the team. 
you know, if you want to throw Clifton in on the back end as someone who brings some of that too, but it's, you know, for years it's been like, you know, how, how often did Bruce Cassidy talk about Brad Marsh and pulling guys into the fight with him? And, you know, he, he was the one who in a top line role who would sort of bring that. And now I think you're seeing that they have a bunch of these guys in the bottom six who can do that and are willing to do that. Um, and Frederick is, is certainly one of them and, you know, has done it quite a bit as this year and is also producing offensively. I mean, who had Trent Frederick as a, as a 20 goal guy going into the season? It's not out of the question for him. He's at 16 right now and Baker's dozen games to go. It really is not out of the question at all. So for him to be a 20 goal, 35, 37 point guy, potentially this year is just, is just, is really remarkable. And, uh, Good sign for the Bruins for the for the Bruins for the future that he's not that he's not a bust of a draft pick and um, I think there's stats to back up just how he stacks up against the rest of his draft class. He's actually doing pretty uh pretty uh, pretty good compared to the rest of his uh, his class. So yeah, it's impressive and um, I mean yeah, he's six he's tied for six on the, on the Bruins and goals goals scored and you know obviously you know who the top four or five are going to be. It's Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, DeBrusque. Zach is in there, and I think it's Hall and Frederick. Or I think Lindholm might be. No, Lindholm's not there. So Hall and Frederick are tied for six. So, um, yeah, good on him. And yet here we are talking about a potential situation where he has to, you know, slide down in the lineup because that's just how much depth this team has this year. So it's just, uh, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, yeah, I mean, the sky, the sky's the limit for this Bruins team this year. I mean, as we as we get closer and closer to the playoffs here, it's kind of like. I don't know. It really, it really is cup or bust this year for this team. And I know that that phrase is tossed around every year for, for one or two teams probably, but this Bruins team is more cup or bust than previous NHL teams were cup or bust. Like this is this, they, they, it's, it's, it's winner. It's winner fail for this team, which, which sucks for them because th- th- those are, it's impossible. It's like, okay, you follow through and you do that. And people are like, well, good. That's what you should have done. You know, and anything short of that, it's like you're the biggest choke artist in the world. So it's a really tough situation for them to be in, but it's the bet that they've made for themselves because they've they've been that good. That's the, it's the standard that they've set, right? Yeah, and and you know we've brought up before, but like it's also just a once in a generation situation where you have your top two centers signed for four million dollars and they're still as good as they are. Like that's it. That is a big part of what has allowed you to be easily the deepest team in the NHL. And one of the deepest teams we've seen in a long time, Um, you know, you give Sweeney credit for making the right moves to add to that depth, you know, getting Zaka and Orlov and Bertuzzi and Hathaway, what he's brought like, yes, you've also had to hit on getting the right depth pieces with that extra money you have. And with the trades you make, but you're in a situation to be able to do that because of what Bergeron and Krejci have done for your team. And every other team would absolutely kill to be in that kind of situation where you have two players of that caliber signed for that little money and look at it, look at it and go, wow, look at what this allows us to do on our third line, fourth line on, you know, our top four defensemen and all that. Like, it's and you're not going to have that going forward. Like you're gonna run into cap issues next year. You have too many free agents. You don't know what Bergeron and Krejci's status is. Doesn't mean you know you're totally falling out of it. Like you can still. There's absolutely multiple paths where they still have a very competitive team next year, but it unquestionably will not be as deep as this one. So yes, like you you want to really take advantage of this and make the most of it because. You are the best team, the cup, you know, you are easily the favorite to win the cup. Um, we know there are things that can happen that are, are out of their control. If David Pasenak and Charlie McAvoy go down in the first two games of round one, I mean, you throw your hands up and go, whatever. Like th- there was just nothing we could do about that. But if you stay relatively healthy, like, yes, they should beat anyone in a seven game series. So um yeah, it puts a lot of pressure to say cup or bust, but that's what it is. And they've they've embraced that, I think. Like they've talked about how it's a special season. They know what their goals are. They don't care about these regular season records. So, you know, that 
they they know what it is like they're not i don't think they're feeling that pressure or you know are gonna crumble under it or anything like that i think they they know what it is and they they're kind of, they've embraced being that team being the one that has the target on their back all year I'm going to try to talk, but Melvin has been sassy. Um, he's been, <laughs> that's why I haven't talked in like five minutes because he decided to start um, barking. But um, one Stop thing that I, all the time. <laughs> yeah, if you were watching on YouTube, you saw me going no it's not it <laughs> with my mic off, but um, now he's trying to drink my water. Uh, so one conversation that was had on the broadcast that I I thought Scott wanted to chime in on was the uh, Lindholm Norris uh, conversation that Jack keeps bringing up and, you know, also taking shots at Eric Carlson for some reason. I don't know what Eric Carlson ever did to him, but, but um, that has been a career long thing with Jack and Eric Carlson. Like we could go, we could rewind 10 years and he would be saying the same things when Carlson was winning Norris trophies with Ottawa. Like it's just, it's just baffling to me. Like he is so much of Eric Carlson's career was spent in the division and like to get an up close and personal look at how talented of a player he is and how, you know, he's producing, he produces at offensive levels, not seen by a defenseman since Ray Bork and Paul coffee. And arguably given like the era and how, you know, early in his career was playing in a lower scoring era like arguably even more impressive than some of the seasons those guys had and to not have like an appreciation for that and to just constantly again for over 10 years now just like shit on eric carlson's defense and oh he doesn't play in the penalty kill like jack's using that to argue that you know he, he can't win the norris because he doesn't play on san jose's penalty kill and and what really got me is like he's talking about um you know if Eric Carlson's so valuable and the Sharks are, you know, struggling as a team, why doesn't he kill penalties to help them win? And it's like San Jose's penalty kill is one of the only good things that team has. So like, why, why would you waste Eric Carlson on it when you can instead play him more at five on five? He has played more five on five minutes than any, anyone in the NHL this season. And the Sharks are, when he is on the ice at five on five, the Sharks are a very good team. When he is not on the ice, they are one of the worst in the NHL. So, like, that's... yeah, and I feel like his argument was also like, "Well, if he's so good, why is he on a team that sucks? Like, if he's so good, why aren't they, you know, yeah. in first place in the division?" Like, it's like I don't know. Look at the rest of that roster. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like you could put Connor McDavid on a team full of scrubs, and yeah, they're not going to finish first, even though they have Connor McDavid. But that, um, you just more the Oilers for the last seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So, so I guess the main Bruins point though is is Lindholm uh, and the conversation about is he sorry Melvin's doing it again <laughs> um, I'll let you guys some, pick up he's got some but, really strong takes on the Norris yeah, race he really is make, trying to make a case for Lindholm right now what do you think um, Carlson sucks <laughs> yeah he's that's what he's chirping over here um, but what do you guys think of Lindholm is that kind of you know a silly conversation obviously he's a good defenseman but what you know Eric Carlson versus Lindholm. Where do you see that? Here's the thing. It's not a silly conversation. And if Jack wants to make the case for Hampus Lindholm winning the Norris, I think you can actually do it. I just don't think you have to totally shit on Eric Carlson in order to do it. Like you, you can still recognize that Eric Carlson is having a really special season. He's probably going to top a hundred points, which is crazy for a defenseman. Um, You know, the case for Lindholm is like, you can, look at his defensive impact because him and Carlo have been one of the arguably the best shutdown defensive pairing in the NHL this season. Bruins do not get scored on when they're on the ice. Um, that's where you make the argument. Like the, the athletic did, um, you know, it, the athletic and ESPN do like regular awards watches like every month. And I think the athletics last one came out last week. And from a Bruins perspective, everyone jumped on, because the way they list it is they just use a stat called like goal. It's like goal save value added or something. Basically like goals above replacement. And Bruins fans jumped on Ilya Sorokin grading out ahead of Linus Almar, even though the write-up itself 
said Allmark's going to win the Vezina. But I feel like what a bunch of Bruins fans didn't discuss is that it had Hampus Lindholm tied for the lead in the Norris race in basically what was like a five-way tie with Carlson, Rasmus Dahlin, Brent Burns, and there was some, oh, Adam Fox, where like the five who were all separated by like one point in this goal saved stat. Um, so like there is a case to be made because Lindholm has been so good defensively and has also contributed 40 points, which, you know, isn't the 90 that Carlson has, but is still pretty damn impressive. Um, you know, but that just like, that wasn't the case that Jack was making. He was just trying to tear down Eric Carlson and I, you know, Hampus Lindholm is not going to win the Norris. It will be Carlson. And if other guys are getting votes, it's going to be Adam Fox, who has the points and the defensive play. Um, it'll probably be Rasmus Dahlin, who has really had a spectacular, you know, I want to say breakout, not really breakout, but has really taken the next step into stardom. Um, but I think Hampus Lindholm will probably finish top five. And I think there's absolutely a case that he deserves more love than that. I mean, I feel like uh, I don't even know if, as good as he's been, I don't know if Lindholm would even win the award for best defenseman on the Bruins this year because I feel like McAvoy's defensive metrics are probably just as impressive, if not more. And maybe Scott, you can correct me on that. But, um, but well, he has more points, McAvoy. Well, so. well he, I mean, Lindholm has one more point than McAvoy, but he's also played like ten okay. more games than McAvoy. So yeah. that's what I mean. Game, points per game, yeah, McAvoy. McAvoy's edges Lindholm significantly really and then i feel like the defensive metrics and advanced advanced stats mcavoy has to at least be on par with lindholm and you know relatively so i feel like yeah i um but yeah i mean he's there's no doubt about it. he's had a special year um and he's a special player and he's he's totally end of year awards aside the addition of lindholm to this bruins team has just been i mean words really can't describe how important it's been um he's 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 turned it's just there's so much deeper with him. There's so much more dynamic with him. There's so much less pressure on McAvoy and less attention on Ma- It's just, it's what an addition, like seriously. So um, whether or not he wins the Norris or should win the Norris, I really don't care because I think he's going to help the Bruins win a Stanley Cup, and that's all I really care about. Um, I, I, there was something else I wanted to go with this, but oh, yes. Um, so I was just looking at the Bruins next game, and they're playing the Senators, who have quickly fallen out of the playoff chase. Um because they were once right in the mix and now they've kind of fallen down. And right now it's kind of a three, three way race for the wild card spot between Pittsburgh, the Islanders and the Panthers. And I don't know about you guys. I really don't want to see Matthew Kachuk for seven games in the first round. Um, and I just feel like the Panthers could be like a very spooky team to play in the first round. Cause I feel like they've had a, not a great year for their standards, but I feel like they're more formidable than the Islanders or the Penguins. I know the Penguins have Crosby and Malkin and stuff like that. I get that, but I don't think they have much more than that. Um, does, does the Panthers sneaking up on Pittsburgh scare either one of you guys? Um, I mean, I do think that their matchup-wise might cause more of an issue for the Bruins, but um, I don't see either of them as like a insurmountable like opponent that they couldn't get past I think um either way Brian what are you (laughs) am I the only one who's got internet working right now um so yeah I, I I don't think it's a huge deal but it's it is scary in the way that they're turning it on at the right time so um if they're able to make themselves uh bring themselves back into the race. Um, you know, I guess they're, they're not a team you can really um, count out if they're playing well at this time of year. Yeah. Florida doesn't, doesn't scare me. Um, not the yeah. way they used to. They used to be a team you'd go, Oh, we don't, we do not want to match up against them in the playoffs, but. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's been a long time since that's probably been the case. Even last <laughs> year, like they, they just weren't nearly good enough defensively and, Lightning totally exposed them. Um, I think they're even worse defensively this year. So that, yeah, you don't want to face Matthew Kachuk and he would have the potential of landing a hard hit that hurts someone. I I get that. But most teams are going to have someone like that, um, at least from the physicality department. And yeah, Florida could could put up some goals, but 
I just think they're they're not good enough defensively, and Bruins, I, I think, would still make a pretty short series of that. The one to me that that still worries me the most is the Islanders, just because it, looking at like the different wildcard teams, Ilya Sorokin is the one goalie who could steal a couple games, and potentially if he gets red hot and maybe, you know, God forbid the Bruins goaltending struggles a little bit, like could potentially steal a series and that above anything else worry, like take out injuries because they're very hard to predict. But in terms of like on ice uh, or players or teams or whatever, um, Ilya Sorokin scares me more than anyone else in, in that wildcard picture. So I would gladly take a matchup with, Florida or Pittsburgh over the Islanders. Yeah, I'm not really concerned about losing a series to the Panthers or um, it was more so just like the attrition part of it. Like, like, could you see Matthew Kachuk just doing one of his stupid reverse hits or hip checks and, you know, effing up somebody's knee or whatever and whatever. Um, Pittsburgh doesn't scare me in the least. Uh, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to some of their players, but I just don't think they have what it takes as a team. Islanders, I mean, yeah, I mean, they have the goalie, but – he'd have to get probably seven shutouts to beat the Bruins in a series. So, um, cause they just can't really score that well. But anyway, I was just curious if, because I, because Florida has been, we haven't talked about them this year much. Cause, cause after last year, um, they've really just struggled to start this year, but here they come now as, as April approaches and they have as good a chance as anybody in that wild card to crack the playoffs and then, and whatnot. So I, I found that interesting because Buffalo and Ottawa were like right there and now they've just dropped and Florida's still there. So um, it's starting to, the, the East playoff picture is starting to, Chris, uh, clear up a little bit yeah. and see kind of who's who. Yeah, Washington. Yeah, De- Detroit. Out now De- well. Yeah, Detroit was right there for a while too, and then they sold, and that you know really seemed to just kill any momentum they had. Yeah, and the Capitals were sellers too. So, um, yeah, those those teams that were right on the bubble. Um, yeah, it, it it is weird. Like the Capitals still could make the playoffs. Like they still could make that last wild card spot, but they're um, Craig they Smith revenge different- series. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they took a different approach at the trade deadline that, um, you know, they weren't going to really make a push, I guess. But, um, it, but all, all three of those teams that you mentioned, the Islanders, the Penguins, and the Panthers are all within like two points of each other, two or three points of each other. So yeah, three, they're all within three points. So any of those teams could end up being your, your matchup. Um, if you're the Bruins, you would rather see the Islanders finish in that first wild card spot where they are right now and, and avoid them in that in that first round series, like Scott said. And then you'd, you'd take Pittsburgh or the Panthers. Well, the good news is we have time to, t- to discuss those in further detail down the line. I just kind of a little food for thought. I just noticed that in the standings. I thought I'd ask that. But uh, Bridget, Scott, is there anything else you wanted to go over before we sign off? Mm-mm. No, it- one last note on Swayman. Um, he says no, and then he starts saying something. <laughs> true, yeah. Um, like, no, but uh, Mer- Merrimack lost to BU, Brian, so suck it. I, well, thought I, I was that gonna, that's... I was gonna close with that as well. As as you can tell, I got the BU hat, <laughs> BU yeah. sweatshirt. Um, hey, I'm a terrier too. I told you about that one that one certificate class I took in 2016. <laughs> Yeah, Brian ate, ate in the student union once. <laughs> <laughs> My brother right. went there, so it counts, right? So on Swayman, back-to-back shutouts is the first time a goalie's done that for the Bruins in, in season since Tugarask in April 2013, so 10 years ago. Um, so, you know, pretty impressive couple games for him. And even Sunday, like, where it obviously turns into a blowout, you know, I did think – Late in the first period, early in the second, he had a couple really nice saves. One was Casey Middlestad point blank on the doorstep. And it's like, at that point, it's three, nothing. You, you know, you think the Bruins are running away with it, but at, you know, maybe if the Sabres get one, they get some sort of momentum going into the first intermission. Um, but that, you know, like that really felt like almost the end of the game. Like Sabres finally got a good chance, couldn't score. And it was over from there. Yeah, I mean, so I, I did want to talk. We always seem to gloss over the goaltending part. Because they, it's just like, yeah, they've been awesome. Okay, next. I, the one thing I said about him was he ate a chicken wing. So like, <laughs> that, was the, that was the commentary. Uh, but no, yeah, we. I, I guess 
it's it's like we we don't have anything to criticize so we kind of just go by it but no Swayman played really well uh big shutout for him two in a row so um it's just the same old same old where it's like okay well there's not a goalie slump neither of them are slumping neither of them really have had an extended or even like a two game three game slump um so there's nothing to be concerned about for the Bruins in terms of goaltending right now and that's really the only takeaway I mean look as far as the Bruins go whether it's in goal or elsewhere I just feel like as long as this team plays on their toes, I really can't see a scenario where somebody bests them four out of seven times in a series. It's I just if they play assertive, if they play on their toes, if they take the game to their opponent and don't whatever, like this Bruins team is too deep, they're too talented. And that extends to between the pipes too. But if they go if they, if they enter the playoffs and they're just kind of going through the motions like they were a few weeks over the last couple of weeks at times, well then you're human just like everybody else. So this and I don't I don't I'm not concerned that this team's going to get to the playoffs and go through the motions. So, um, yeah, I mean, the goaltending has been awesome. There's only so much you can really highlight how great a save was. I mean, it's just, they've just been, I mean, hell, we've even talked, it's been so good. We're talking about them scoring goals. They're, yep. they're joining, they're joining, the, they're joining the rush too. I know people talk about Montgomery system. The D are joining the rush. So are the goalies. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's just, it's all, yeah, it's, everybody's playing fantastic this year. And, uh, we hope that they, that they, building that going into the playoffs and i i'm real i, I can speak for all of us really looking forward to the playoffs this year i mean well, this team's the, on paper is just so fun the one thing i was concerned about was the goalie hug at the end of the game where they both almost i thought they were gonna hurt themselves because it was more than just a regular hug because it was a shutout they jumped into it and they both landed and i was like if they just both knock themselves over right now how dumb would it be to have the, like the two best goalies in the league get hurt hugging in this time. Like I, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't that just be like, you know what they need to the do worst possible thing. You know what they need to do. They need to do after, after a game, after the next win or a playoff win or something like that, or like a playoff series, win. they got to just do that, they just got to put all their cards on the table and go all in and do the dirty dancing and have, <laughs> have the garden play time of your life and just have one of them lift up the other by the waist and just glide around the ice. It's and at that, that point now. And then you go, how did, how did Jeremy Swayman get hurt? Oh, uh, Olmark lifted him over his head in the dirty dancing uh, move, and he both fell down and broke. He broke his arm. Dirty yeah, he dancing. did. The, he did the Swayze. Well, that was like hockey east this weekend. I forget if it was Friday or Saturday, but BU's goalie collided with the linesman as he was yes. going to the bench during a delayed penalty, and that was Saturday. Yeah, and, and in the championship game. Yeah, like Razor during the Nesson intermission, like they were laughing about because everyone's okay, fortunately. But it's like, imagine you lose your starting goalie because he ran into the linesman trying to get to the bench. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. The whole uh, Hockey East championship weekend was just weird as a Lots whole. Lots of overtime. Too much overtime, Scott. I got home at 1 a.m. Um, Friday after three separate overtimes spread out through both of the games. Um, yeah, no, is there, there, by the end of Saturday, I was thinking to myself, I, I, you know, I always say overtime hockey is great. It's bonus hockey, but at some point <laughs> to some, like there reaches a point where it, it's too much hockey. And I think we were almost there um, by yeah, the end. Especially because of- like those games, really all three to an extent were defensive struggles, which, yep. you know, I guess, Hey, defense wins championships, but Especially um, the two overtime game between UMass Lowell and Merrimack. That yeah. was just like, I'm glad I wasn't broadcasting it because I don't know what I would have said. And Tyler Murray, who was broadcasting it for WEI, lost his voice after Friday's games and like struggled through Saturday because it was too much talking. I wouldn't want to hear myself talk that long. <laughs> but, you know, they got through it. I, I talked to Tom Karen uh, Saturday as well. He was, I talked to him right before the overtime um in saturday's game and he was like i'm i don't know if i can do this like i'm losing my voice it's going so um luckily that was a short overtime and luck and scott got the happy outcome brian i'm sorry merrimack but merrimack is also going to the tournament yeah hey there's 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 still time to get revenge speaking of uh (laughs) speaking of losing 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 your voice scott how is the um how is the Southie parade? St. Patrick's Day parade. Wait, you want one of the floats screaming? That's right. Yeah, the uh, yeah, the skate pod float. 
3-W-E-E-I. Yeah, how yeah. did your um tiger tattoo come out? It looks good, guys. It looks really good. <laughs> All right. Well, don't, don't tell us after we sign off. <laughs> I, I, yeah. think we're, I, think, I think we're probably good. That's for the Patreon. <laughs> Are you saying it's paid content? You're yeah. going to have to pay to see Scott's tattoo? Yeah. All right, well, at least he knows how to monetize what the people want to see. Yeah. <laughs> Scott's making like seven figures off his OnlyFans account, so... <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, what's let's, what's let's, your username, Scott? No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, we've gone off the rails again officially. All right. Well, Bridget, get your finger on that on that button. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> all right. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you guys soon.